Hello and welcome to the Crew Fitness UK podcast channel hosted by myself, Hayley Chatterton, online personal trainer and weight loss specialist. This is a place where I can talk to you about health and well-being, mum life and how we can live our healthiest and happiest lives. This is a chance where I can debunk some myths, chat to guests online and get into the real nitty gritty subjects that some personal trainers do not wish to discuss. So sit back, relax, or enjoy getting your 10,000 steps in. Welcome back to the channel and I thought I would start off with something quite fun for a change on the Crew Fitness channel um, as a sort of a, a welcome back to you all as it has been a while and I thought I'd talk about sort of a reminiscing days when I was cabin crew. So for those of you who've been following me for a while you will know that I am used to work for an airline for seven years. I um for i think it was about four of those years i was a senior crew member so i was like the second in charge sometimes took flights out in charge so uh, you could say i had a fair bit of experience um from doing flying now i will note that the stories i talk about today i've had to really think what i could and couldn't talk about because there are certain things that i definitely can't talk about or give too much detail in because it's a little bit sensitive to other crew members and I, I, again I don't really want to affect their jobs. At the end of the day I know obviously when you work for airlines you don't necessarily sign a contract but you are always sort of that feeling of under surveillance and obviously I still have a lot of really good friends that work for the airline and I really don't want to jeopardize their job which is sad that I have to say that but it's just one of those things and to be fair, I couldn't do podcasts like this until I wasn't working for the airline and you know, I don't plan to in the future. I miss it. It was an amazing life, but I've started up another incredible life of my own now. Um, and all I have is just amazing memories from being at the airline. So I just thought I'd talk to you about all these different experiences I had, sort of the, the crew chat that we used to have, all kinds of things. So there's a lot to cover, so it might be quite a long podcast. I don't know. I might have to do another one later on in the year or something when I've had more stories come to my mind perhaps um so some people that also follow me um remember me from being a 380 crew so yes I was on the big bus and uh what was it everyone used to call it oh wait do you know what it's my it's my podcast so I can say what I like everyone used to call it the cunt so really ugly on the outside really nice on the inside <laughs> Oh yeah, that was my favorite. Everyone else called it the vagina, to be honest. Um, and you know what? I definitely had a love-hate relationship with that aircraft. So when I started at the airline, I was actually on the 747, 777 and baby, baby bus. And then I think it was about a year into the job, something like that. I then got told that I was going to be put on the A380. Obviously, I'm buzzing because this is new aircraft, 
to the airline. I'm like, this is amazing. This is a big opportunity. Um, without me realising that such a big aircraft from London, uh, there's very limited places you can go with it. <laughs> very limited. Um, but they were obviously um, getting rid of their fleet of the older aircraft and stuff at the time, which obviously makes sense. It's just one of those things that happens over time. So it was one of those sort of aircraft and... Um, I'm sure those of you who are still flying on it can agree that it has some serious faults with it. And I'm very much a firm believer that because it was such a big aircraft, so much to manage with so many complicated systems, things went wrong, okay? It was gonna happen. Um, it's a lot to deal with from even just the entertainment system, which drove me insane. And I wasn't even a, the actual manager on board, but there were times I had to you know, obviously step up and be the manager on board. And it was a pain in the ass because it would always have something wrong with it. And God forbid, if you accidentally wipe the whole thing, oh dear, then your flight was fucked. Then you're going to have hundreds of very, very, very upset people on board. Um, but anyway, I mean, most of the time it did work fine. Like, yeah. Um, but, you know, you hear about all these stories where people said that an A380 had a flood and it looked like it was raining in first class and club class. I never saw that, okay? So I can't actually say if that happened. But it is funny, um, you know, like burst pipes and stuff like that. And it, it does happen. I have witnessed a crew member burst a pipe, not on that aircraft, but on a different aircraft. Maybe I'll go into that in a little bit later on. But the A380, what I liked about it was just, I think it was that privilege that you were on, like, a really iconic aircraft. Like, don't get wrong, 747 is the queen of the skies, and she's very much missed. But to, be know, to know that you were on, like, the next sort of big, innovative kind of big move for an airline, that was cool. Very, very cool. And training for that was always fun. Um, I remember when we fitted... Because we had you had to do like an aircraft visit to go on the aircraft before you're then recent to then go on and fly on it. Um, and I remember we got those upstairs toilets, the um, business class toilets, and <laughs> we got 12 of us crew members in one of them <laughs> just to see how many we could fit in. I was like, hey, you could fit an orgy in here. Um, so, yeah, that, that was always funny. But there was something, what gets me, and I can understand, obviously, from a manager's perspective, like, no one was allowed to use the front stairs. And that was because of the noise for first. But how fucking annoying was it if you were working in club, sorry, <laughs> in business, upstairs, and you had to get something from downstairs and the lift wasn't working? Oh, that was annoying. But as soon as you became, um, you know, second in charge, you could actually go and use that. It was actually okay. Um, but yeah, it was a pain, <laughs> to say the least. So that was how you sent things up and down the aircraft. It was like through lifts. Um, I had a really funny time once where the manager was in bed um, on crew rest. And then um, I was doing my walk around. You had to do a walk around every hour just to check all the crew were okay. Um, check the aircraft was all good, etc. And... I was in the upstairs um, economy section and all the crew were like grey, panicked. And I was like, you okay? And they went, we can hear tapping. So this was a flight that was coming back from Joburg, sorry, Johannesburg. And, and I was like, what do you mean you can hear tapping? They're like, I think someone's hidden behind this panel. <laughs> and we were, I was just like, right, okay. Um, right, 
get a torch and let's get the jemmy out. Let, let's just pull that panel back and let's have a look. And they were all freaking out. And then they're going, oh my God, babe, what are you going to do if there's a pair of eyes looking back at you? <laughs> there was nothing there. But to be fair, Johannesburg was known as um, an, uh, a destination that is... Um, is known for likely to have stowaways on board. So you had to be really careful of that. So I, I got why the crew were getting a bit anxious because they obviously heard something, but it's such a quiet aircraft, it could have been anything tapping. Um, but I've never seen such paranoid crew. That was funny. Um, that'll always bring back a funny memory at that point. But it was one of those aircraft where if um, you had a passenger on board who had never been on one and they were really excited to be on one, I'd show them around because I was like, yeah, you should see it. It's massive. It's really cool. So I used to show people around it quite often. It was really, really nice. And also it was a great way to pass time. So crew members listen to this and like, especially if you're on the A380 and you're doing a night flight and you're struggling to stay awake or you're working in the galley downstairs that does economy, get moving, get up, get walking around that aircraft, go chat to all the crew in the different areas. So one thing I used to do, and that's how I used to survive night flights big time. Um, so yeah, anyway, that was like a big thing for me. But what used to always get me is then when you do another um, trip and say like you were on the 777 or you were doing short haul or something and then you get chatting to the crew and they go oh you a380 and it was like a, almost like i'm looking down at you now like oh my god you're on that <laughs> like basically there was this persona built about us that we were just a clan and we were just part of a group and no one else was welcome in that was not the case we just we we flew a lot together because well we had no choice um, because we just kept give, given the same routes and so we had married rosters as you called it so you quite often flew with the same people every week um so that's when i did so many la's and this that's where this sort of notorious sort of um history got built from 380 crew and so it was just always funny they go oh you a 380 and i'm like yeah but you know i'm not part of whatever this gossip is that's going around at this time because so and so's got with this person or slept with this guy and oh no now it's this love triangle is going and i'm like i'm not involved in any of that but it used to be just funny that there was that persona that was created for us but it's just one of those things but it was a great aircraft to be on because like i think i made most of my friends from that aircraft which is a really cool thing to say really um and I always felt like I was on home at home when I was on that plane which is so bizarre like I used to be on the 747 um like I said um and what was weird was when I was put on 380 they had to obviously take an aircraft away and firstly they took away me being on the 777 which was a really bad move because then I was 380 747 and short haul which meant I literally did nothing apart from the same trips every week um because the 747 was limited and so was the 380 at one but both of them at one point were so limited so I was living in Kuwait and LA like all the time so <laughs> LA I like basically got used to having um a routine there and then luckily I started to see a bit more of my family over there who live um in a place called Burbank um so I started seeing them a little bit towards the end of me being in LA quite a lot um which was really really special um but yeah so I was always there 
Um, but I, I, there were bits of, I don't get me wrong, 747, she was tired and very dirty. Um, beyond the point of you could clean, clean it, it was, it was a goner. So I could see why, you know, they were fizzling them out and, you know, things, there were bits that were like, yeah, these are knackered, but also incredibly reliable in other areas to do with things like, like how galleys were put together and all that kind of stuff. And just the whole design of the aircraft was just amazing. Um, and it's so robust. And I did love it. And I, the galleys was just phenomenal. My favourite one was the first class galley. Oh my God, was that a good galley. And the other thing I loved was um, when I used to do Vegas. And if I got that 747 that had the newer style bunks. Oh mate, that was cool. If you got the old style bunks, they were shit. Sorry, but they were. It was like this sort of budget ikea style bunk beds chucked it into like a small square room that you can't stand up in because it's so like low because you're at the back in the tail of the aircraft and um yeah and you had to make sure you're buckled in or you would fall out and there was no like blackout or anything so you need to make sure you had an eye mask with you as well because i remember a crew used to literally tuck in their blankets like above the bunk above them so they then they could have like a curtain to go across oh god and then there was always there's no matter what aircraft you go on that's got bunks there is a manager's bunk and the one that was there i went in it one time and then someone told me a story and then i refused to go in it ever again and there used to be like this grill next to this um bunk and someone said to me that they looked down it and they swear they saw a pair of eyes look back at them like a stowaway <laughs> And I was like, nope, absolutely not. I am sleep deprived. I'm going to start thinking weird shit. I'm not going in there. So yeah, I never, never, never did that again. I never slept in that. It wasn't the most comfortable feelings. Um, but yeah, you needed to make sure that you were strapped in. I mean, every bunk you need to make you strapped in, you would fall out. But that those 747 ones, the old ones about. But if you got the new bunks, that was cool. You had your own little toilet. You had um, three seats which had um, TV so you could watch a bit of in-flight entertainment. And they had actually good bunks on them. So they were that was actually quite a winner. If you got that one, it was like, a, yes, I'm in the jackpot. Oh, dear. And those bunks always remind me of a Q8 we had. And this is probably where, like, it it wasn't legal what happened. Um, but I can say it now. Um, so, yeah, we were going to Q8. And Q8 is notoriously known for people having a ridiculous amount of hand luggage because they all go duty-free shopping. and Well, they did. And bought a lot of designer gear and stuff. So they came on board with dozens of bags. So there was never anywhere to put them. And some reason i mean it's one of the like late flights to leave so it's one of the last few to go where it was and uh we suddenly noticed it was pushed back but we still had people trying to get on and walk down the aisle and there was no space left at all in any overhead lockers from all the way to the back to all the way to the front they were completely full and we had to go now pushback had happened so what did we do we grabbed everyone's suitcases that were in the aisles and i'm talking there was at least 15 of them we threw them into like this crew area so like the back of the 747 it had um like a crew section which had four seats and a sink and it was behind a locked door we chucked all the bags in there and left 
we didn't know what to do. We were just in a state of panic. <laughs> we were like, shit. And there was no going back and couldn't get hold of like flight crew to say, this isn't safe. Why have you allowed the doors to be shut? And, ah! It was mental. So yeah, that wasn't a good time. That was bad. Um, but yeah, oh, since I talked about bunks, I'll talk about bunks now. I mean, it's low down on my list, but I'll talk about it now. So every bunk had a different sort of like thing I loved about it or hated about it. So I've talked about 747 ones. Triple seven ones were a little bit odd. So the triple seven three hundred was like a long corridor. Quite liked that one. That one was all right. But you had to make sure that you then, when you walked up, you had to go to the back. So it was the quietest. If you were the ones near the stairs, see, you're going to hit every crew member that needs to go for a piss. Or you're going to hear your passengers going for a piss or whatever because the toilet's not far away and then the door will slam and stuff. So they used to drive me mad. And if the curtain was broken, that was it. You were screwed for your your uh, for your um, your bunk rest. But um, I'll never forget there was one time. Oh, it was gross. Singapore-Sydney trip. And I needed a wee halfway through my, my four-hour break. What a dream, right? And um, went down to go to use the... Uh, the loo's right by the bunks and you have to share it with passengers and you know sit down have a wee drop my pajama trousers and then I pulled them up and it felt they were soaking wet and I was like oh no someone had pissed all over the floor and I mean all over and I hadn't even noticed so I was like oh for fuck's sake so I was absolutely covered in someone's wee so then <laughs> Went back into the bunks and took everything off. And then I had to bag up that stuff. And this was the beginning of a Singapore-Sydney. So then I had to bag up the, those trousers and that. And I had to then take them to my hotel room and just rinse them. And then leave in a bag for the rest of my trip. And they were my only trousers for the bunk rest. I was fuming. Yeah, so that that wasn't a good memory of those, that one. That was gross. Um... But yeah, I loved the 380 bunks, each to their own. Some people were like, oh, hell no, that's not for me. But I actually really liked them. But again, you had to make sure you're at the back. Otherwise, you heard the front row of economy. You could hear their children screaming and babies screaming um, and t- people going to the toilets, going in and out of the toilets. So you had to make sure that you were um, you were in a good position for that. So that was a bit of a pain. But yeah, that, that was always interesting. Now, the other thing that got me, um, I quite like the 787 bunks as well, but you could hear all the chimes for people doing call bells and stuff. That was the only annoying thing I would say. Um, the crew rest seats, man. What was that? Come on. That was bad. That was shit. Like they were, That was the most uncomfortable thing to give your staff. And I know tons of airlines do it but it is not pleasant man like i remember there's sometimes like i I mean seattle's you used to like legally you could do that with no bunk rest even though it was a very short time there you didn't get much of a rest and if you were working in first or um, business you had to sleep by the door which was freezing cold. The chair was just not that comfy. You couldn't you could sort of put your feet up if you could reach the chair in front. 
it was just not ideal. Or you sat in the back row of economy after fighting the passengers to tell them, no, this is not a seat for um, staff, um, for customers. This is a seat for staff. And people never understood it. And it was like, get out. <laughs> now I'm going to put the curtain across and it's going to really irritate you. The Velcro is going to get stuck to your hair. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyone remember this? If you're sat in those seats that are at the back of economy, if you've put the curtain across and you're watching a TV programme and then the passenger in front, they don't know. They then move their seat and then it moves the curtain and then you can't see your screen. So then you're trying to discreetly tuck it back in so you can watch your programme in peace. Oh, and then you would hear people having a chat next to the toilets and stuff. And you're like, nah, shut up, please. I'm either watching a film or I'm trying to get a nap while sat bolt upright. Um, no recline whatsoever. But I remember sometimes, like, it's really naughty I did it. But if I was working in first class, I'd just lie on the floor. Because those chairs were so uncomfortable and so many crew members do it. I would get a load of blankets or whatever was, like, spare. And I'd just lie on the floor. I didn't care because it was so uncomfortable sitting on those chairs. Um... And then I sometimes get some sleep until you hear a crew member then setting up the galley or something. That was annoying. Yeah, so that was my feeling. And sleeping bags, again, like they're saving space and um, and weight. But the sleeping bags, God, they were like that fleecy material. And sometimes they weren't even dried properly. You'd open the bag and then half of them were wet. That was grim. That was not cool. That was not fun. And the pillows were just horribly thin. Um, so the amount of times you would like sleep and get a dead arm because you have to put your arm underneath the pillow to kind of give yourself a bit more neck support. Yeah, that was always fun. So there's the glamour part, hey? And also, does anyone, and every crew member will agree with me here, you go into a bunk, everyone takes their shoes off. Oh, my dear Lord. That is when the crew members stink. Dear God. Yeah. Girls' shoes on aircraft, not cool. How, why the hell people go on eBay and buy this shit, I don't know, but they do. But it is the, that the impact of the smell of a smelly pair of shoes. Whew. And the thing is with like crew shoes is that you would then be like, okay, these are disgusting now. I'm going to get some new ones. But because then your feet have got a slight odour, you then buy, buy the new ones. Start to wear those. Those would get odour really quickly because of just sweat again. And you're just like, I can't win. Just going to have skanky feet. Yeah, I used to have pre I used to have to have pedicures really often, like just to do the bottom of my feet because my feet got awful from being crew. Like just the amount of walking you do in shoes with tights, I mean, it's not really great for your skin, really. So I used to just treat myself. Um, the other things that used to get me, everyone always has to like, God, oh, how many people have you had be sick on your flight? Loads. Every crew member can say that. Loads. Loads of people vom on a pl on a plane. Um, but there was a couple of times it was bad, like really bad. So um, one time I didn't deal with it. It wasn't my medical to deal with. But um, there was some man who got some kind of infection or virus or something. And he projectile vomed all over the back of the aircraft of a 777. And I mean, I'm talking from the top of the door to the bottom, then did the same in the back of a toilet, then the toilet door, 
then went to the other side, the right side, and did the same to that toilet door and the back, and all over the um, the aircraft door. Everything was shiny and sticky. I didn't touch it, but I could see it. You were not going to touch it. And I was like, is it possible for someone to projectile vom that much quantity? Apparently so. And I've never seen anything like it. Um, that was pretty gross. Don't know what happened with him. Uh, I had two Miami flights where there was outbreak of norovirus. Midnight flight home. Not fun. I had puking and shitting in the aisle. What got me was that aircraft then left a few hours later after we landed. And even though we contact, tried to see if we needed to contact Port Health and they twice said no. Um, that aircraft had a quick basic clean and off it went again. When I think it could have done with a very, 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 very thorough clean to prevent further spread of norovirus. But hey, <laughs> whatever. That was gross. That was really gross. I think it was when I saw the shit in the aisle that got me. Um... Yeah, so that was always fun. But, you know, it just happens. But I tell you what, I mean, I know crews to get really upset if someone hand them a bag of sick. But you know what? The only thing I would say is, what else are they supposed to do? If the seatbelt sign is on, they can't go anywhere for safety. Why do you want to sit there and hold a bag of sick when someone can quickly just dispose of it in the toilet bin for you? So I can understand that. So I'm a, I was one of those crew members. So I get really shitty about it. But now I can see why that person's doing that i think because obviously i've been away with my child twice now and you do get it um but yeah madness so um what else was i going to say oh when i said sickness on board um oh god it's gone from my head now anyway let's go on to um like some funny passenger um experiences god 24 minutes already i'm trying to do this as quickly as possible so passenger experiences it was one of my last ever flights before um, becoming pregnant and I was going to Houston and I was working in business and we were literally only what took off like an hour, an hour and a half and then this man came up to me and was like, ma'am, um, can I speak to your manager and all this, I was like, yeah, is everything okay sir, I'm second in charge, is there anything I can help with, um, someone's trying to kill me, someone's trying to hurt me, I was like, sorry, <laughs> He said, there's people on board trying to kill me. Right. Okay. This is odd slash serious. And uh, <laughs> so anyway, I went and grabbed the manager and the manager spoke to him and he was adamant. People were on there trying to kill him. And he was supposed to be in economy and he wouldn't go back to his seat. He was too uncomfortable to go back to his seat. So he just kept walking around the aircraft and kept standing by doors. And I didn't feel comfortable with the whole fact, none of us did, that he was standing by doors. In the end, he was so paranoid constantly that, um, and the fact that he was so fixated that someone was going to kill him. Um, he said it was five people in economy that wanted to kill him. We were like, oh, God. So anyway, we did security checks on him and everything. Oh, well, the flight crew did. They contacted security and he came back all clear. He was coming back from Abu Dhabi and going to Houston um, and he was working the oil rigs and it turned out long in the long run he actually had been up for far too long was actually hallucinating it's amazing how sleep deprivation can make you hallucinate but anyway <laughs> I just remember like this man literally he didn't leave the doors and crew members had to take turns to have a chat with him 
just to make sure he's okay and doesn't do anything crazy. Like, try and open the door, even though it's not going to open mid-flight because the pressure changes. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. But you just, you can't help it. You worry, don't you? Um, anyway, at one point, he was stood at the front of economy, leaning against what the door, and he was staring dead in the eye at this woman sat in the front row of economy. What's worse, she was staring back at him. <laughs> oh, I was doing a walk around at this point and just thought, what the fuck, this is weird. Like, they were just staring at each other. It was so freaky. Anyway, eventually got him to sit down. We landed into Houston. Um, and I was the one that had to open the door. And there was two police officers there. And I was just like, oh, hello. Oh, hello, officer. And he went, you, and he was like, ma'am, you got a suspect on board? And I was like, um, sorry. He went, we heard the radio. <laughs> it was like... Wow, so they were actually listening in and heard all this, but no one had actually contacted Houston or contacted anyone in the States. This just randomly happened. And the man got taken off, and that's where they found out he'd been hallucinating and his wife was picking him up. But what a story that was. Um, a very funny time. It was I was doing um, a Euro tour, but I was constantly doing Vienna. Like, literally, I was going one out to Vienna, one back to London, Vienna, London, Vienna, London. Four days of that. And staying there, got to the point where we thought, should we just leave our bags here? But then it was like a risk of, we might not get them back if the flight got cancelled. So we just literally had to keep carrying our shit with us. Anyway, I had a crew member and he's from Barbados. Very strong accent. And he was doing the um, the PAs. And then uh, <laughs> he one day he was doing it and then we didn't realise. We had Shaggy on board. And apparently when he started doing the PAs, this crew member, Shaggy, like literally, eyes lit up like there's a Caribbean accent on here. <laughs> so funny. And then they just, yeah, it was just funny. That was a weird little moment. Another time I was working first class going to LA and I saw this family um, walking down the jetty towards first. And I'll be honest, they looked like they bought their outfits from like... I don't know, from Target or something like that. It was like proper like something I'd buy for my son when he go he's going to nursery and he's be all in scruffies. They all looked really scruffy. Um and then I was thinking, oh sorry, right, I'll just redirect them, it's fine. And then I looked at their tickets and it they were in verse and I thought, flipping heck, you got like the dad had a fisherman hat on for God's sake. I was like Fuck me. Okay, fine. Well, welcome on board. <laughs> and welcome on. Lovely kids, actually. Really sweet. And then it was when the dad looked up at me. He had a hat on and he had sunglasses on. And he said, thank you. I was like, taken aback and just kind of was like, what? It was Will Farrell. I genuinely did not recognise him at first. He'd had, he had grey hair. He had a grey beard. The hat and glasses on, I genuinely did not know it was him. Um, so, great disguise. Until it was when he spoke to me. You like, because you recognise his teeth, don't you? When he talks, how he talks. He was really nice. His family, so nice. His wife was a total babe. Um, 
and his kids were so polite. They were an absolute joy to have on board. Had the Beckhams. The Beckhams, um, I only had Victoria and a couple of her kids. But they're really pleasant. They're really nice. Crew always rave about how lovely they are. They're just a genuinely nice family. Um, but what I liked with Victoria's at one point was when her little girl was really little and I just saw them cuddling, watching TV together and I was like, oh, that's just adorable. They're so nice. But I didn't realise it was them until I was doing the safety demo. <laughs> I made myself jump because I didn't know it was Victoria and she was on her phone, playing with her phone during the safety demo. And then I looked at her and went, um, excuse me, you need to turn your phone off now, please. She looked up at me and I went, oh, I literally went <gasps> like that in her face by accident. I genuinely thought she was a teenage girl. She's got beautiful skin, really beautiful skin. And she's so tiny. And the way she was sat, she was sitting like a teenage girl with her legs up and stuff, like all crouched in. You know, like kids do. Um... And that's when she started talking to me. Like, oh, I'm going to turn it off and that. And I was like, oh my God, so sorry, Mrs. Beckham. <laughs> and walked away. Christ. Uh, I had um, a, an actor called Rufus Sewell. If you don't know who that is, um, look him up on Google. He was in The Holiday. He was in, I think he was in A Knight's Tale. Yes, he was in A Knight's Tale where he was the baddie in that. Very handsome man, really nice. He was very funny. He, I had him on the flight um, and I was serving him in first. Can you tell a trend? I worked in first a lot. Um, and he was so nice when he welcomed himself. He was just like, he shook my hands like, Rufus, Rufus Sewell, it's so nice to meet you, Hayley. Jolly good. He's just so, so like infectious to be around. Um, and then he was holding this guitar and he went, Hayley, can you do me a favour? I've got this fucking guitar and I don't know what the fuck to do with it. It's for my brother. And I got nowhere to put it. And I was like, absolutely, Mr. Sewell. Bear that. I'll, I'll go and pop that in the cupboard. Not a problem. And I, literally, it was just so funny. He was telling me about a new movie he was doing. He was on a high protein diet and he was going through all of it. He was reading his script and he was so funny as well. He was just genuinely a nice bloke. Um... And I just wish all passengers were like him, to be honest. Um, and I just remember, <laughs> like, he needed his bed made and he thought he'd make a really bad joke. He went, oh, Hayley, could you help me make my bed? Oh, not in that way, if you know what I mean. I was like, oh, you cheeky bugger. But I obviously had to say it in a way that was like, oh, sharp. <laughs> oh, dear. So, so funny. Oh, the good times, eh? Good times. So, yeah, I, I won't give into too much. There was a lot of celebrities and you can't give too much away or say anything rude about people and stuff. I don't believe that's the right thing to do. Um, the only other good one I had was Michael Bublé. I was galley lead in first and um, the girls knew that I fancied the pants off him. Yes, I know I'm married, but I'm allowed to tell him, say a man's good looking. Um, and they were like, do you want to take him his main dinner? And I was just like, no, I'm too shy. <laughs> Ridiculous, right? But he, he was Jamie Nice Blake and he smiled at me and I was like a little bloody 13 year old girl. Like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's the only time I've ever been like that was with a celebrity or whatever. It's crazy. Um, I never, there was another time where I was doing a muscat, um, again in first, and lovely old lady and her daughter are serving on board, and 
like the old lady was deaf no 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 no. it was the daughter who was deaf but the old lady was quite immobile so her daughter was helping her out and there was a lot of like ways to communicate with them it was really interesting but they were just so sweet um and we got off the aircraft after what was a really nice flight and um it was the windsor suite staff turned up and they were like we're here to pick up the royal family and i was like sorry they're like yeah the um the omanian royal family i was like I was not made aware of this. It wasn't on our information list that we had a royal family on board. And it was the ladies that I'd served. That was bizarre. And I was just like, why didn't anyone tell me? It was mad. Yeah, so that that was cool. That was very, very cool. Yeah, so what else happened on flights? So um, trying to think, okay, crew chat. You know what? Every crew member... Especially when I was in the fleet, I was. It doesn't exist anymore, but it's, it's all changed a lot now. And I'm sure there are new phrases, everyone saying the same thing. But this is when you knew crew were bored. Didn't know what the fuck to talk about. And it was like, who's your manager? Was always the first question. Oh, who's your manager? <laughs> and uh, and you're like, do you know so-and-so? No. Okay, then you're not going to know my manager is then, are you? <laughs> Uh, what's your next trip was another one um do you know this crew member do you know this was and it's like no you're gonna have to give me a face because i'm not gonna remember your name by next week unless you've made an impact on my life <laughs> um, and the other one was oh you're on first break or you're on second break it's always the same shit we said to each other wasn't it and if there's anyone else that's got some more like quotes please remind me but it used to always be those same ones that would come through it was always like that but hey that's how we got by and then you'd have a bit of galley fm wouldn't you do you remember that galley fm yeah what was the gossip going on that day what were we all talking about that was always um <laughs> quite entertaining to say the least uh times that you would be shocking other times you thought oh god standard crew chat again here we go some sort of rubbishy gossip um but yeah it was it was mad it was absolutely mad there was one time and i can say it because i can't remember his name or anything um again it was joburg and working in first and uh, i've got a lot of good memories from working in first i tell you <laughs> um and this this um these I, I was getting on really well with the um flight crew and it just so happened that um we had to stay in their hotel for the for the trip and um everyone was getting drunk and it was like a saturday night so it was really cool like it was a really good vibe in the in the bar and there was like a live saxophone player going around all the crowd. It was really, really good fun. Um, and then it started to die down and we were all just sitting around a fire pit, just chilling and chatting. But then I noticed there was two flight crew members that were like getting really, really familiar with these two very young girls. I think one of them was 19. Um, these guys are like, were in their 40s? Yeah, gross. And... Um, yeah, they, as far as I know, this one girl slept with this FO that night. And um, we all knew it happened. And then it was when we were flying home, we got back to London. And I was talking to that FO. And I said, oh, so what are you doing when your day's off? Anything nice? That's another standard crew chat. And um, 
he was like, oh, it, it was mine and my wife's 10-year wedding anniversary yesterday. So I'm going to go and do something with her. Hmm, your 10-year wedding anniversary, weren't you shagging a 19-year-old? Hmm, interesting. <laughs> so that is, uh, that, that definitely made me quite disgusted with that guy, to say the least. That was gross. But yeah, so that's um, a tiny snippet into just my experiences. I'd love to do more, um, but I just thought I'd give a little bit of a insight. It was always, you know, special. Like, do you know what else I loved, actually? It was, um, like, with recurrent, or if I had a um, a flight that shared with other fleets. So if you saw the Eurofleet or the Worldwide Fleet down route and you got talking to them, that was so nice to speak to someone from a different part. That was always, I actually made quite a few friends, particularly from worldwide. Um, And I've been talking to them for years now and it's really, really lovely. Um, And it's just a really special part of it. And especially if you make friends on recurrent um, and you see each other in the report centre afterwards and stuff, you just, you're just like, hi, how's it going? You have a nice catch. It's just, that's one thing I did love about crew is that most of the time it was very genuine um, and such a nice sort of community to have. Um, but yeah, so some really funny, random memories. Um, I'm sure there'll be more and I'd love to do another one. But thank you so much for listening. I'm going to leave it at that because it's nearly 40 minutes long. So I'll catch you all very soon.